One of my other roles uh, is as the missions pastor, and it's in that capacity that I am delighted to invite my good friend, Ray Cobb, to come up and join us. Um, about four times a year, we're blessed to have uh, mission speakers come um, and share with us, open up God's word, and connect it to the ways in which they have been called and are serving God's kingdom um, overseas. Uh, Ray and his wife, Kathy, uh, are long, long-time international workers um, with the Alliance, long-time Seamless Link partners of ours. Uh, they've served in, uh, in Africa for a number of years, um, had come home, and then just, what, two or three years back, um, were called to a brand, new, um, a brand new assignment that God had them. They serve um, as, the, as the pastors of an international church in Dakar in Senegal. Um, and uh, we're delighted to have them uh, as our Seamless Link partners. And this morning, Ray is uh, going to be opening up God's word with us and telling us a little bit about their work there. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Um, let me pray for you for Thank a minute you. before I surrender the stage. Thanks. Dear Heavenly Father, um, you told us that our task, uh, now that you are regnant, over all of heaven and earth, that our task was to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and we thank you for the work of Ray and Kathy who have taken that call seriously and have spent so much of their lives and continue to give their, themselves still um, to the service of your kingdom uh, in a place where there is often spiritual darkness. Lord, we thank them for their ministry and we thank you uh, that they're here with us for a couple of months uh, now on home assignment, uh, and we pray that you will inspire Ray as he speaks and open up our hearts to your word, to your message, to your love, to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, Kathy and I are so glad to be back with you again, knowing how over the past 30 years, whether we were in Guinea, or then in Morocco, or now in Senegal, you have faithfully supported us. You, you've done that through your giving to Global Advance and even more through your prayers on our behalf. And I want to tell you that we are so grateful for how you have joined us in that way. Thank you for serving alongside with us. I want you to know we do not take that for granted. Thank you so much. Now, one of the things that when you are away, you tend to lose track of a lot of things that are going on, especially in the area of technology. But one of the things that I have kept up with since being away for the last few years is the career of football player Chase Claypool, who comes from right here in Abbotsford. Uh, four years ago, he was a rookie with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and many were saying that he was going to become one of the greatest receivers in the entire, all of the NFL. As things have turned out, however, well, his career has taken hopefully just a temporary but a bit of a nosedive so that he's now with his third team in four years. Not a good sign. And what got him traded about a couple months ago was telling a reporter that his then current team was not using his skills and his talents like he thought they should be. And it has certainly left him discouraged and frustrated. Now, I know that a lot of you here might have never heard of Chase Claypool. Nevertheless, we can all relate in one way or another to what he's going through. 
Uh, we've all had times when we felt there was something that we had to offer, something that we could do to make a difference in our world. But instead, we found ourselves stuck doing things we felt were a waste of our talents, of our abilities, our education, even of our spiritual gifts. I remember when we came back from Guinea in 2003, after 11 years there, God had clearly brought us back to Canada, and we were, ex so, although sorry to leave, we were excited at what we knew God had for us here, and that it would be a, a church, we'd enter into a pastorate and just continue on with ministry. Or so we thought. As things turned out, there were no pastoral openings. And within a few months, I found myself pumping gas on the graveyard shift at the Chevron station, just up on South Fraserway, for about six months. I can tell you there were many, many evenings, early mornings, two, three o'clock, sweeping the parking lot, um, cleaning the pumps. And I'm thinking, God, what is going on? What on earth do you have me here for? This doesn't make any sense. I'm sure all of you have your own stories. And like Chase Claypool, have had moments when you've also been disappointed, frustrated, and maybe a bit angry with the way things were turning out, or not. Well, if that's the case, uh, guess what? You're in really good company. Because David had times when he would have felt like this, such as in 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 14. 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Now, before digging into the text, uh, we need to back up a bit to see what has just happened before this passage. Um, Saul, the first king of Israel, has been rejected as king by God. As Samuel the high priest told him, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him a leader of his people, a person after God's own heart, a quality that God sees in David. So God tells Samuel to anoint David as the new king. He will be the one to reign over all of Israel. And then in verse 13, the Holy Spirit immediately falls upon David. Right then 
and there. And we're left with a sense of anticipation that great things are on the horizon for David. But before anything happens of note, there are two very important lessons that David will have to learn. The first one being that we are to serve wherever God places us. We serve wherever we find ourselves. And so for David, he's just being chosen king. This is exciting. And what's about to happen? All of a sudden, he finds himself back looking after his father's flocks. Instead of ruling on the throne, he's traipsing over the hillsides around Bethlehem, looking about after a bunch of dumb, stinking animals. And it just didn't make any sense. He himself had to be wondering, what's going on, God? What are you doing? I mean, David, he's supposed to be the king. This is what he's being chosen for. This is what he has been anointed for by the Spirit. So why then is he being a shepherd to a bunch of animals? What a waste of talent and ability. Or is it? Well, let's go back to David's anointing as king. And even more, the anointing of God's Spirit upon him. Something that, as I pointed out, it happens immediately. God is profoundly present with him and powerfully at work in him at that very moment. Even as he becomes, returns to his work of a shepherd. And the evidence of this is seen in a couple of incidents. Uh, do you remember the story about how David killed a lion and a bear with just his hands? Kind of takes hand-to-hand -hand combat to a whole new level. It's pretty amazing. But one of the things that makes us ask is how does a young boy in his teens do that? Except through the power of God. And then, it was during this time that David was growing in his knowledge of and love for God, all of which he began to express through poetry and music. In fact, he became so skilled that his songs have very much become an echo of the voice of God that continues to be heard for over 3,000 years, right up until this very day. I mean, just look at the songs. How often have we heard God's whispers coming to us through them? How often have we been drawn into the love of God through what we have been reading and praying in the Psalms? God is profoundly present and powerfully at work in David, even while he is out looking after the sheep on the hillsides around Bethlehem. Though it will be 20 years until David actually takes the throne. Do you get that? 20 years before he ever gets there. Yet in that time, he is learning what it is to serve at every moment in whatever situation he finds himself, wherever God places him. Something that uh, we've been learning at our international church in Senegal, where English speakers from almost 35 countries and almost as many different denominations and Christian traditions gather together as the body of Christ. Uh, you know, as attractive and exciting as that level of diversity sounds, however, um, it does confront us with some challenges. The truth is that in a congregation like ours, there will, be, there will always be something 
that each one of us does not like. There will always be something in our church fellowship that people, every one of us, do not particularly feel comfortable with. There will always be something in our church doctrinal statement or in our our theological convictions as a church that every one of us does not particularly agree with. It's inevitable in a church like ours. And you know, because of that, it can be easy to hold back, to not engage in the life of our church. Oh yeah, people will show up for Sunday service, often because there aren't a whole lot of other options to worship in English in Dakar. Especially in our area, we're it. I love pastoring there. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. Stand up and say, you know, if you really don't like this church, you know, you're welcome to go join the church down the street. You know. But that's that's what it's like there. And in the midst of all those, we can quickly have an attitude of, you know, well, I'm not going to be here for long. Pretty soon, God is going to move me elsewhere in the world to a different church, one that I can really feel comfortable in and fully agree with. That's when I'll get involved. But for now, is this really the kind of place where I want to pour myself out in, where God wants me to serve? Yeah. I think I'd rather just wait for the next place for another time. As I said, it's a very real temptation for people in our fellowship in Dakar. One that we have to fight against in two ways. One, by recognizing that none of us are in Dakar or at our church there by accident. For whatever reason we think we are present there, in the end, God is the one who has brought us to that city and led us to our church. That is where he has placed us. And therefore, in the midst of all of our differences, in the midst of the things we might not like or feel comfortable with or even agree with, in the midst of it all, this is where he is calling us to serve. And two, having been led to this church in Dakar, like David, there's the recognition that we too have been anointed to serve in that very place. You know, we were singing these songs about just the love of God pouring upon us. When we talk about the pouring and the outpouring of the Spirit, and so much of it is an outpouring of the love of God into the depths of our hearts. Not just that we know within our minds but that we feel and we experience in the depths of our entire being. Knowing the love of God. It's what happened with Jesus at his baptism when the Father comes and says, you are my beloved Son in whom I take great delight. Anointing. But the thing about the anointing of God's Spirit upon our lives is the, with the love of God, the nature of God's love is this. It is always reaching out to others. It is always seeking to embrace more and more everyone else. It doesn't just keep it to itself. It's always reaching out. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, 
even more than David was, we have been anointed to serve in the very place where God has brought us. And as we've been doing that and learning more and more of what that is all about, you know, it's been exciting to see people entering ever more deeply into the fullness of Christ's salvation, his forgiveness, his cleansing, his healing, his freedom. And this then leads to a second lesson that comes out in this passage. Not only do we serve wherever God has placed us, we also serve whoever God places us amongst. Back to David, uh, who has been learning what it is to serve out in the fields as a shepherd. But in the meantime, things have not been going well in the palace courts. Um, where we read that the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, without getting into all those questions about this comment of God sending an evil spirit upon Saul, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. The main point here is simply that King Saul is losing it. He's falling into greater and greater depths of depression, paranoia, delusion, insanity, not to mention demonic affliction. Not the kind of thing you want happening to your country's leader, especially when you're surrounded by all kinds of enemies who are looking for any opportunity, any chance to destroy you. So the court officials, you can imagine that they've been trying to do a lot of damage control. You know, they're trying to keep what's going on with Saul a secret. They don't want word getting out. But you can only do that for so long. At some point, Word gets out. So they know they have to start looking for help, which they find in David, who is brought from the fields to the palace courts. And whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. The anointing and spiritual authority David had received when chosen by God has deepened on the hillsides of Bethlehem. And it is now flowing out of him, putting demons to flight as he ministers God's grace to Saul. But this is where you have to wonder something. What's going on in David's mind? You know, he's just gotten word. You, you're, you're supposed to go to the temple, the temple. I mean, go to the palace courts. Get going right now. What's he thinking? Finally, it's going to happen. I'm going to become king. And it's about time. I've spent enough time looking after sheep, learning what it is to serve wherever God puts me. I've, but I've got that. I've learned that well. Time to move on. Let's bring it on right now. We're going to do this. But instead of taking the throne, David finds himself playing his instrument for a raving lunatic sitting on the throne. On my throne. I should be the one sitting up there. But that's not where God is putting David. At least yet. Instead of ruling over Saul. God is calling David to serve those. Who God places him amongst. Including Saul. Who has rejected God and chosen to rule Israel without God. 
The only thing is that without God, Saul is not only left alone, but worse, is now open to the forces of evil that God is no longer protecting him from. And Saul, as we read, is tormented by an evil spirit. This is the one who David is called to serve. In which, again, we have these questions. I know in trying to understand this whole passage, many people have looked at this whole thing as God's judgment upon Saul. But I'd be really careful about going down that path. Really. Because instead of judgment in the end, it is actually a case of a severe mercy. God has allowed Saul to experience where his life and his choices are taking him so that he might come back to his senses and return to God. Not that his kingship would be restored, mind you. No, that's gone. David is going to be the king. But for Saul, there can and there must be more to life than simply being a king. There's to be redemption and reconciliation with God, all of which is being offered through David. And even though Saul, in the end, does not return to God, this is still what God wants. This is still what is in the heart of God for Saul. Because with God, there are no lost causes. No one is beyond hope. And that is why in his grace, God relentlessly pursues us, even if we are like Saul, running from him. And when we are like David, because as we will see later, if we were to take time to move later into the story, we discover that David too has many areas, many areas of deep sin and brokenness for which he will be in constant need of God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. And David needed to understand this. He needs to be captured by the heart of God for people so that he will understand that he is called to serve not simply those he feels comfortable with, you know, um, my kind of people, or those who support him and jump on his bandwagon and agree with him in everything he does. No, David is to serve whoever God places him amongst. Again, something that we've been learning about in our church in Dakar. And we've been having to learn it on a couple of levels. One of the ways we've been having to learn this and wrestle with this is in the area of demographics, the makeup of our congregation. When we first arrived just over a couple of years ago, we were told that the church was primarily about 65% from North America or Europe. About 30% were from other English-speaking African countries. And then there were a few others, a handful of people from places in Asia and Latin America. And so that was shaping our vision for the church, our direction, where we were to be headed. But when we started meeting, but we had only been in Dakar, we went there in the middle of COVID, and after two months, we started meeting again. And the moment we started meeting together, all of the demographics flipped. 
Our church has grown. It's bigger than it was. But we are now about 60 to 65% African from other African countries and about 30, 35% um, from Europe or North America. That's a really big switch. And we've had to wrestle with that. We've had to wrestle with what we thought was our vision and our purposes and what we were supposed to be focused on and discovered. And some of it was, well, no, this is what we've had. We need to keep going through with it. But at some point, we had to stop and say, but who is God bringing to us? Who are the people that God is leading into our midst? We have, we're having to learn how to serve God amongst those whom God places us in the midst of. But even more than demographics, we're having to learn this lesson when it comes to dealing and ministering to people who come in incredible brokenness and bondage. People whose lives are a mess. Doesn't matter what their professional position is or not. After we'd been there for, oh, about seven, eight months, there was a, a young girl who started attending our church. And the moment she came, the first Sunday, it was clear, here was a girl that was deeply afflicted with demons. I mean, we were in the midst, it looked at times, like the, the, the synagogue in Capernaum, in the middle of a service. Or at least at the end of the service. And we're having... To meet with her and talk with her and we we said do you want help do you want to be set free do you want us to pray with you and she said let me think about it and for about five or six weeks she would keep coming but she wasn't ready to ask us to do it until finally she said you know i need to pray with you i need someone to pray and it looked like the only time we were going to the next time we were going to be able to really meet with her was in about eight days the following monday because of her schedule ours and so we said, okay, that Monday afternoon, think about it, pray about it this week. We gave her some things to do. Said, let's get and pray. Well, in that week, this girl, who had a history of traveling around different countries in West Africa and finding free lodging with whoever would put her up, and it was not a healthy situation, and she kept on overstaying her welcome and getting angry at people and all this. And... When it came to that following weekend, we were getting ready to meet with her on the Monday. We discovered that the lady she had been staying with had finally come and said, you can't stay here anymore. You need to move on. And so she was trying to find a place to stay. Uh, she slept in the lobby of one apartment building. She then um, was asking for other people to do it in situations that were not good. And it came to that Monday and I knew her situation, and I knew that that night she was out on the streets if she did not have a place to stay. Not, not what you want for a young woman sitting in, in the middle of the car. The only thing is, she was the last person I wanted staying in our home, our apartment. And so all that day long, we're praying about this session. We're going to meet with her, with someone else, and we're going to be praying for her. Kathy and I are going to be doing that. But all along, I'm all uptight inside, saying, God, you've got to find a place for her to stay. We don't have any other options left. And Ian back, but what about your place? And I'm thinking, no, 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 that's not good. 
That's a bad precedent. We can't be doing this. She's just using all kinds of things here. We don't do that. And I'm getting all uptight about it because God is still speaking. You ever notice that? God just keeps poking and prodding. It can be a real pain. But he's doing this. Well, anyway, we get there to the afternoon and we sit down and we meet with this lady to engage in prayer with her. And while we're wanting to pray for her deliverance, I'm, I'm still all uptight inside. My mind is being taken up more with the issue of she can't stay at our place. She can't stay at our place. Well, no surprise, we didn't get very far with her. I mean, it was a bit of a bust. And after two hours, we realized we've got to stop. We've got to go to God on this one. But as we canceled it, I realized, okay, God, she can come and stay at our place. But just for tonight, just one night, she's got to fix this situation by tomorrow. She just can't keep doing this. So we went home, and I'm kind of trying to be outwardly polite, but inside I'm, I'm all up, I'm tense about it. And I'm talking, finding people, I'm talking to her former pastor from another country, and I'm getting a lot more information that I didn't want to know. Um, and I'm, I'm more and more convinced she can't stay here. we got to get her out. Even if that means putting her on a bus and having her return to her family in another country, which is where ultimately she needed to return to. But Tuesday morning I, when I woke up and I'm waiting to get news about when we can get her on a bus and I received word from a guy who was checking things out for us that there are no tickets for Bamako Mali until Friday. And I'm thinking, no, no! I can't believe it. I'm, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Oh, I, I was ticked. And in the midst of that, I came as close to as I've, almost as close to what I've had of an audible voice of God. And it was like, I, in my, at least in my mind, but God coming and saying, Ray, you know what your problem is? You're more concerned about her departure than her deliverance. You're more concerned about getting rid of her than seeing her set free. It was like a two by four right over my head. And I sat there and everything I had, it just dropped. And I cried out to God, Oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so, I said, okay, Lord, you've brought her here. We're available. However long it's going to be. And so, she was with us for those three, four days. And the last day, we met and we spent time in prayer. She was ready again to meet in prayer. And the beginning of her deliverance began to take place. There's more issues that need to go on. But at that stage, all of a sudden, she began to find certain levels of freedom in Christ. And a sense and an understanding of where she needed to move next because of that. Being a person after God's heart, someone who truly loves God and longs for him, means that we will serve wherever he places us. We will serve whoever he places us amongst. 
That's his calling upon us. That is what he has anointed us for. Two huge lessons that David had to learn before actually becoming king. He had to know these before he began to rule over the country. And they have been lessons for us in our church in Dakar as we seek to know God and the fullness of his love in our lives. Not only pouring into us, but then flowing through us like a mighty river, bringing life to all it touches. And that is something that all of us here this morning at Seven Oaks are being called to grapple with and to learn. Now, I don't know your full situation here. It was exciting to hear about this award from Archway. That's, that, that's a bit of an indication that you're starting to learn. You're learning this lesson in new ways. God bless you as you continue to do that. But still, that is something that we always need to sit with before God. Because where's it going to take us next? What's going on now that God is wanting to speak to us about? And so as you do that, and I encourage you, sit with God over this. And as you do, I want to leave you with a few questions. What is keeping you from actually doing these things? What will it take for you to serve right where God has placed you now at this moment? What will this look like for you to serve whoever it is that God brings into your midst and puts you amongst? It's not always easy. It's going to take us down unknown paths unfamiliar, uncomfortable situations, sometimes frightening. It's going to lead us to change. But as we serve wherever God puts us and amongst whoever God brings across our paths, you want to know something? That is when we even more deeply experience God's presence and power flowing into us. And then through us, in that vision from Ezekiel, a stream becoming a mighty river, running down the cliffs of Jerusalem, down into the east, becoming not just a stream, but a river ankle-deep, knee-deep, waist-deep, until it covers their head. You can't even swim across it. And it's bringing life to everything it touches, including the most desperate and driest places on earth. And so our prayer, O Spirit of the living God, may this be true for us this day, in this place, amongst whomever you put us, whoever's lives you put us in. O come and accomplish this work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.